Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. I'm John Fugelsang. This is Sirius XM Progress. The baddest production team in all of radio is with us. Thea Harper running this show out of Brooklyn. Executive producer Chris Houseelt, who is better. Chris has been struggling with COVID, and 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 uh, and we've been very very worried about him. Um, worried about his health and worried he might come back too soon because we actually did great, really great with his replacements. It was really nice. We'll get to that later. But tonight, what a lineup we have: Reverend Barry Lynn, former executive director for Americans United for the Separation of Church and State, has some thoughts on the Supreme Court and some thoughts on censorship as well. Well, and some thoughts about racists who don't like a Little Mermaid remake. Uh, Jared Yates Sexton, the author of The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis, has written a book that beautifully, beautifully traces all of the lies that you see coming out of the far right wing from Pizzagate to Obama wasn't really born here. And really tracing it back to the book of Revelation and showing how it is religious extremists, profoundly fake Christians who are driving so much of the violence. Midnight Kingdom's an amazing book. Jared Yates Sexton was on our show last January. We're really happy to have him back to talk about it. As always, our most important guest would be you guys. We are at 866-997-4748. We would love to hear from you over the next couple of hours. I think we're doing good. We got a show. Let's begin, shall we? Joe Biden fell down yesterday. We, we all fall down, right? Let's be honest. We all fall down. And when you do, you either want to be the person helping someone get back up or you want to be the person laughing at the guy who fell down. Joe Biden's 80. There was a sandbag that shouldn't have been there. He joked about it. He made a sandbag joke on the White House lawn. And except for the right wing anger sphere, it's forgotten. On Fox, it's the only story. Second, uh, 25th Amendment, unfit for office, senile dementia, nuclear codes for that, 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 president, black woman, blah, blah, blah. The five had Joe Biden falling as their leadoff story two nights in a row. Why? Why is that the biggest story? Why is right-wing media choosing to end the week, making your uncle racist and your aunt dead inside, focus on Joe Biden falling? Well... The Republican Party has been leading this assault on our economy, and they have targeted the most vulnerable among us for a very long time. And this last couple of months, they've been targeting the most vulnerable by threatening to default on American debt for the first time in the country's history 
unless we gave in to their hostage-taking demands for all kinds of spending cuts. Their bill would have cut benefits to elderly people. Their bill would have, it would have cut benefits to poor people, disabled people, veterans. But it's not going to happen. Just before 11 p.m. last night, the Senate passed a bill to raise the debt ceiling into 2025 and cut the deficit, sending the bill to Joe Biden's desk. I know what you're thinking right now. Oh, my God. Are we going to have to talk about the debt ceiling more? We survived this week. Debt ceiling week is finally over. Can't we talk about other stuff now? That stuff that matters? Important issues like Hunter Biden's laptop? But let's just take a moment to savor Joe Biden's speech this evening and to savor what we've actually witnessed and what we've defeated. I mean, America has just averted a potentially catastrophic default on our debt. And the senators passed the bill 63 to 36. 46 Democrats, 17 Republicans in favor. 31 Republican senators voted against the bill, uh, including Senate Republican Conference Chair John Barrasso. Five progressive senators voted against it, and some of them are friends of this show. Bernie Sanders, John Fetterman, Ed Markey, Jeff Merkley, and Elizabeth Warren. But Joe Biden celebrated in his first ever speech from the Oval Office that a crisis has been averted. And he's ready to sign this weekend a budget agreement that will suspend our debt ceiling. What does this mean? It means Social Security checks will still go out. People in the military will still get paid. It means people won't lose their jobs. It means interest rates to buy homes and buy cars and borrow money for your tuition won't go up. It means the world will still be investing in American Treasury bonds, which help the government pay its bills. We avoided a default. And bipartisanship can exist in a divided government. Here's Joe Biden speaking earlier to this evening in his Oval Office address about how this agreement protects the work his administration has been doing, the work that 81 million Americans sent him to D.C. to do. Look, we're investing in America and our people and in our future. We've created over 13 million new jobs, nearly 800,000 manufacturing jobs. Where is it written that America can't lead the world again in manufacturing? Unemployment is at 3.7%. More Americans are working today than ever in the history of this country. And inflation has dropped 10 straight months in a row. In this debate, I refuse to put what was responsible for all this economic progress on the chopping block. This bipartisan agreement protects the law that will help us build the best infrastructure in the world. It fully protects the Chips and Science Act, which is going to bring key parts of our supply chain to America. So I don't have to rely on others. Now, here's the deal. Everyone laughed at Biden when he said he could do bipartisan deals with Republicans. Let me be honest. If you've listened to the show, you know how much I mocked Joe Biden for that. And I, I have I have one rule for this show. Uh, well, two rules. One, don't pass out at a frat party. That's just a general rule I have in life. Uh, my second rule for this show is I, I have to admit when I'm wrong. And I made fun of Joe Biden because you're going to do bipartisan deals with Republicans. You can't even do partisan deals with Manchin and Cinema in your own party. It's changed. When you consider how incredibly divided this Congress is, the amount of stuff this old man has passed, uh, and he's not waving it in the Republican Party's faces. That's the clearest sign yet that he's a leader. That's a sign to the people who own this country. That's a, a sign to Wall Street, to our foreign allies and adversaries, that this is an adult in the room. He's not wagging it in the Republican Party's face. He's talking about how everything was about cooperation. He's talking about the CHIPS Act and the PACT Act. 
And he's saying, you can trust me to get things done. You can trust me that it's not going to be a complete yard sale in Washington, D.C. And then he began complimenting McConnell and McCarthy, which honestly I thought was brilliant. Look, I'm a clown. I have to make fun of these people. But the smartest thing Joe Biden can do is to praise them in this format, calling them responsible talking about how Kevin McCarthy was a good faith negotiator. And McCarthy, who's still tearing Joe Biden down today, Joe tipped his hat and praised him, slathered the praise on him. Because it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes Joe Biden look like the biggest man in the room. And the more Joe Biden praises Kevin McCarthy, the more the Nazi caucus goes after Kevin McCarthy. The more Joe Biden praises Kevin McCarthy for being so good at bipartisanship, the more the Republicans turn on each other. It's kind of brilliant. It's amazing consensus. And again, what, are the, what, what was the point Biden kept making tonight? Both sides didn't get everything they want, but the American people got what they need. And there was overwhelming consensus in both chambers. It was a smart campaign speech. And I don't know what you thought of it. I'd love to know your thoughts, because I, I have come to believe when you see Biden relaxed and seemingly enjoying himself is, is when he's at his best. But at one point, he began reminding us exactly what happened in his State of the Union address when he tricked the entire Republican Congress into protecting Social Security and Medicare. Everyone praised him for it at the time. We all know it was he was masterful. He got he negotiated protecting entitlements right on live TV. I'm like Joe. Why are you telling us this story again? We know it was your State of the Union endgame. You don't need to tell us about what you did a few months ago because the news today is good enough. Under this president, America has seen the strongest economic recovery from COVID in the world. And we now know that in May, the U.S. economy added 339,000 jobs, which makes a recession look a lot less possible. No one thought it would be this strong. 339,000 new jobs compared to 190,000 they expected. It's a massive deal. This president, as he mentioned, has created 13 million new jobs in 28 months. That surpasses any of his predecessors, any of the 45 of 44 men, Grover Cleveland served two times, none of them created this many jobs in four years as he's done in 28 months. We have now regained all the jobs we lost during the pandemic and created 3 million plus more. And the markets leapt hundreds of points on this news, which again, rode in on the back of the debt ceiling deal. And people are not really worried about the banking crisis that terrified us when the spring began. You notice the rest of the world that doesn't live in the right-wing bubble, they're not talking about the fall. And then there's the Republicans. You know, I always say they're the gang that can't smear straight. The greatest blessing we have as Americans is that our fascists are so bad at it. Uh, The stupid is always greater than the sinister. I, I call them Dim Shady as their rap name. We were so lucky under Bush and Cheney that the incompetence was greater than the fascism. We were so lucky under Trump the incompetence was greater than the fascism. And look around. This party is all over the place. They're getting creamed because they finally got what they wanted in gutting Roe v. Wade. The Texas attorney general just got impeached by his own party. The Tennessee House leadership is under investigation. And Donald Trump is already under indictment in New York. He's going to have federal indictments and he's going to have indictment charges for RICO crimes, most likely in Georgia. Look at the blue controlled states. The the, the states that went for Biden have had advancements in civil rights, abortion access, laws protecting trans people, expanding voting rights, victories for labor, for the climate, for gun safety. 
Look at Florida and Texas. What are they doing there? Criminalizing abortions, beating up on migrants, erasing history from history books, banning books, being as mean as possible to trans children. It's all culture war shit that should have died in the 80s. And it doesn't help working families. And it doesn't help Republicans get elected nationwide. 22 midterms showed us that. They were too extreme for so many. Even for Republicans, they were too extreme. So you'd think the Republican Party would course correct. They can't. And so because they've been so mean, they keep handing Democrats this great contrast to run on. Rather than try to stop Trump from being their presidential nominee, which seems like it's going to just be another loss, they don't care. They're they're just going to have more people jump into the race. Guys, don't worry. Stay engaged. But... It's going okay. I think we can have a little bit of fun this summer because Republicans don't have a debt ceiling threat anymore. They got no tricks left. What are they going to do? How can they have any leverage over Joe Biden now that they can't renegotiate the debt ceiling again next year? More hearings, the weaponization hearings about the government that have been a complete waste of time. Whistleblowers aren't showing up. They, they, they've got Hunter Biden's laptop, which... You know, I mean, if shiny things confuse you, it's great. Trying to subpoena the FBI right now for this document that they got from Rudy Giuliani. They're crazy. Americans aren't following this. Even Chuck Grassley admitted we aren't interested in whether or not the accusations against the vice president Biden are accurate. He meant President Biden. He just said, we just want to investigate the FBI. And now they're getting angry because they want to put out subpoenas and people might not respond to a congressional subpoena, which is what all the Republicans did under Trump. And let's talk about Trump. Because, again, he's under investigation for trying to rig the Georgia election results. That's going to wrap up by August. We will have more indictments before Labor Day. We'll probably see him charged with maybe racketeering. I mean, Georgia allows prosecutors to weave together several alleged crimes. And Trump's going to fundraise off it, I know. And he's going to get indicted federally. He'll fundraise off of that. But think about this. How did Trump win in 2016? How did he beat Hillary Clinton? He flipped three states. He flipped Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Joe Biden got those three states back in 2020. And Joe Biden got Arizona flipped blue and Georgia flipped blue. In the midterms, we knew the Democrats were going to eat it hard. We knew the Republicans were going to trounce them. But no, in the battleground states, Democrats did so better. They won the governorships in all three of those states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, and Wisconsin. And they flipped state houses in Pennsylvania and Michigan. And then this year, we saw the Wisconsin Supreme Court, the most expensive in Wisconsin history. And the progressive candidates won by 11 points in an off-off-year election. You think Donald Trump, after banning Roe v. Wade, is going to ever win Pennsylvania again? You think after banning Roe v. Wade, he's going to win Michigan again? You think women are going to go for that? You think Arizona, Georgia are going to thank him for that? Think about it. The debt ceiling thing is over now, and it's about to shift. We're not going to be talking about Congress quite as much. It's about to be the new GOP clown car. Pence is going to announce next week. Chris Christie's going to announce next week. Uh, Doug Burgum, the governor of uh, North Dakota, he's going to probably announce. DeSantis is in there. Tim Hutchinson, Nikki Haley, Asa Hutchinson is running. Um Vivek Ramaswamy, Chris Sununu might do it. The mayor of Miami might do it. You understand, the clown car is growing. We're going to have a summer. This is going to calm down a little bit. And then it's going to be all Republican politics for president by August when the debates begin. So let's just remember a couple things. In Biden's first 28 months in office, he's created more jobs than any president in a four-year term. Clinton and Obama created 33.8 million. Biden... 13.1 million. Bush, Bush, and Trump combined, less than 2 million. 
Joe Biden has created almost seven times as many jobs as the last three Republican presidents combined. 16 years of it. (laughs) It's incredible. There's only one party of growth in the U.S., and it's still the Democratic Party. That's what they're riding on. This jobs report, the markets are up, they got a debt deal, the climate bill, the infrastructure, the CHIPS Act. Yes, there are problems in this country. But can you imagine any president in our lifetime getting them fixed? It's not perfect. There's plenty to be mad about, and we will continue to criticize this administration whenever it's warranted. But at the end of the day, guys, this has proven something. No one's going to remember how you fell. No one's going to remember that you fell. They're going to remember what you did when you got back up. We would love to know what you guys think. We are at 866-997-4748, 866-997-GRIT. Chris in Pennsylvania, thank you for your uh, patience on hold. Hello. Hi, what's up? What up, John? What what up, Chris? You're a thousand percent right, buddy. They don't give them credit to corporate media. Well, MSNBC does. There's some great journalists over there. We got Rachel Maddow. We got Alex Wagner. We got Jen Psaki. Did you ever have any of those three on your show? I've met some of those people, but I don't think they've been on this show, no. Joy Reed's done this show a few times, and she's guest hosted for how me, too. Is, how is Alex Wagner off camera? Is she Alex Wagner is person? delightful. We were on the first episode of Chris Hayes' show together. She's very nice. How, how about Jen Psaki? Uh, I've never actually met Jen Psaki. I have a very creepy crush on her from afar. Me, too. Yeah, yeah but you're absolutely right. They won't give them credit. Even the corporate nope. media, like, like you said, MSNBC is the only one. Why is that? They're more... Progressive, they're more like you guys, MSNBC. I mean, I would say MSNBC generally is more um, pro-Democratic Party. I don't really know that they're a liberal channel. I always say I'll believe MSNBC is liberal when I see them talking about organized labor and single-payer health care. You know, talking about unions. I don't hear that too much. But they are pro-Democratic Party. CNN, you can read the piece about Chris Licht in The Atlantic today, is trying desperately to be more right-wing. So they're not going to praise this president Although some of their anchors will, you know, it's just at the end of the day, people are going to most people don't pay attention to this. And when it gets to be election time, they do. And they'll see Biden's record and how boring it's all been boring and achievements. And then they'll compare that to Donald Trump, which is chaos and no achievements. You guys are the the only ones. You guys should get more ratings. You're telling me you're telling me. (laughs) <laughs> but, but again, it's the only Sirius XM is a great place that allows us to have this channel, because as I always say, a lot of big radio companies and terrestrial radio would not even put a show on the air where we called for tax increases on the rich. Clear Channel's not going to put a, a whole channel on and We're hearing people say that. So, you know, it's, it's tough to get the message out. But the majority of Americans do agree with these progressive ideals. And that's why it's worth fighting for. Before you go, I got some comedy specials for you to watch. One One did you see the new special? I loved it. I have not watched it yet, but I heard about it, and I will definitely watch it. How about Sarah Silverman? She was great. I love Sarah. I've known her for 20 years. I haven't seen the new special yet. What have you been watching, Wayne? What have I been watching? I got a kid. Yeah. What, have I been, what have I been watching, Chris? I've been watching Indiana Jones movies on Disney Plus for the last two days. Oh, That's like, what I've been watching. I, like the, I watched Guardians of the Galaxy. That was good. Oh, the third one? I thought the third one was great. You know what I've been wa- you know what I've been watching? This new Muppets show on Disney Plus called uh, Mayhem. Oh. It's about Dr. Teeth and the Electric Mayhem, the band, and it's the best Muppets content since uh, Muppet Christmas Carol in nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I'm gonna say it. It's the best thing the Muppets have put out. It's really funny. Can you tell well, I live with a kid? I'm a broken down loser. Why do you think uh, Thetterman and uh, 
Bernie Sanders voted against it. I mean, because the because it sucks for the environment. I mean, it, it you know Joe Manchin got this huge pipeline squeezed into this thing, and I guess that was the quid pro quo for him finally supporting the Inflation Reduction Act. He supported all of this green energy movements, and I guess the deal was you can have your dirty, filthy fossil fuel pipeline in exchange for it. So that's why a lot of the uh, progressives voted against it. Who, who do you think our nicest president was? I say our Barack nicest president? Barack Obama, nicest? Joe Biden, and Jimmy Carter. Barack Obama, Jimmy Carter, and... Um, well, I've never met, I've never hung out with any of those guys, but it's it's hard to imagine anyone uh, a president being nicer than Jimmy Carter. I don't I don't like President Bush, but he was a good guy. But he was a terrible president. What was the worst thing he did? What was the worst thing he did? He lied us into yeah. a war that got a million people killed for profit. But you, but do you think he's a nice man? I do. No, I don't. I I think he uh, I think he is a a very likable personality. I don't think he's a nice man. He. He was even worse than Trump, I think. I think he was a worse president than Trump. I think Trump's a worse human being than him. Right? Do you think yeah. he'll get reelected? I don't think so. I don't think so either. But it's possible. All my millennial friends are voting Gen Z. I love this generation. Do you, John? <laughs> Listen, we don't know. We don't know who the Republican nominee is, and we're we're still presuming that Joe Biden will be the Democratic nominee. So, you know, I think after all of this Michigas and after the summer ends, we're going to really start shifting to it being full-time presidential campaign season again. Those debates are going to start up. It's going to be a lot more humor. Chris Christie's going to be beating up all of his fellow Republicans. The tone will change a bit, and we'll get off of this depressing debt ceiling and get back into, uh, you know, the horse race of it, which I think is fun. Like I said, this generation's the most progressive ever. A lot of my friends are progressive. They don't buy all this crap. Well, every generation becomes more progressive. America, think about that. Every generation becomes much more progressive. If you had told me as a kid that we would have legal weed and, and, and marriage equality, I wouldn't believe it. So in many, many ways, you know, we're always growing more, at least socially, they're, becoming kinder. They're, they're trying to get rid of marriage equality. They're like, don't show gay marriage. No, it's not going to work. We're not, not, not going to work. But this admitted the Democrats already protected at the federal level. They have enshrined it into law. I wish they could do that with abortion rights sometime. I got to go, Chris, but I thank you very much for the call. Let me go to Elizabeth in Texas. Hi, Elizabeth. Thank you for waiting on hold. Hey, John. How are you? Great. How are you? I'm fine. It's been a while. Hi. Uh, okay. I'm going to give you two quick things. Little woo-woo thing. Uh you are becoming the great Christian crusader and everything, and I think you need to sharpen your attack. Your attack is always defense. They don't do this. You are not Christian. This is what Christ does. You are not doing this, not doing this, not doing that, not doing that. All talking about the good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think okay. you need to look at the bad book a little bit. Tell because, me about the bad book. Well, <laughs> you know... It, by the way, by the way, I don't consider I don't consider myself I don't consider myself in any way to be a, a Christian crusader. I'm just I'm a guy who really likes calling out hypocrites. But go on. Well, okay. With myself, I'm very spiritual, and I think everything is kind of just a language. It's like you got the Christian language about how to be a better person. You got mm-hmm. the Hindu language, the Buddhist language, the Muslim la- language. Uh, you know, whatever. So it's kind of, you're talking the words. And, you know, even if you, you talk about to the atheist, and the atheists say, oh, this Christianity, all this 
you know, God's stuff is junk. <laughs> okay. uh, and, and like one of your persons said, I don't understand the whole concept of evil. Okay, I will tell you the atheist version of evil. What evil okay. is supporting entropy. You know, those idiots in in uh, Afghanistan who blew up those Buddha statues? Yeah. Okay, that is evil. That is entropy. All the shit that's going down in uh, Ukraine. That, by the way, by the way, that's fundamental. That's fundamentalist religion too. That's destroying uh, yeah, the Buddha statues uh, is exactly whatever, that's Ron DeSantis. That's fundamentalism of religion. But go on, please. It's like whatever language you wanna you wanna talk. You know. Yeah. And and like I said, if you wanna talk to an atheist who said this God stuff is crap, all right, we'll talk science. You know, okay. you have progress, you have evolution on one side, and you have entropy on the other side. So if okay. you want to understand what good and evil. Anyway, so back to my point, to, uh, to talk to the Christians, instead of saying, you are not, 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 you're not doing all this thing. What are they doing? They reversed the stars on the Republican logo, the the uh, elephant logo uh, okay. sometime during Reagan, okay, mm-hmm. and you got Jared with the 6-6 building and right. you got Trump and, the and you know, putting his hands on the orbs and yes. you got all these <laughs> pedophiles and all these things. I mean, they are totally following the Antichrist and all the lies and all this, this and that. So rather than just talking about all the good that they are not doing, you need to talk about, you know, you know, dig deep into the mud about what's really going on. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I do, I, for, in fairness, I do think I dwell on the uh, the evil quite a healthy amount. I've Got to say, I, I, I have a lot of fun with their evil. Are you an atheist who believes in the Antichrist? Because if that was the case, you'd be my favorite new person. No, as I said, I'm very spiritual. I, okay, great. I definitely believe there is a higher one. Okay, end of that subject. One other thing. Really quick, because we got to hit a break. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, as soon as the the whole like Budweiser thing, I went out and bought my biggest thing of Bud Light. I don't. I mean, I'm kind of like eh, eh, about beer, and usually, like I I drink like good beer. But I it's think like, that's great. Okay, you know, got a bunch of. But um, BDS BDS was outlawed. Uh, the the Israelis. Like uh-huh. declared one of the Palestinians that just wanted to practice BDS boycott, divest, divest and sanction. Yes. Okay. And they declared we, them terrorists. But I we know. need to do that. We need to. That's how we defeated South Africa. That's how we did the bus strike. Right on. You know, I'm with you. Hey, I'm so sorry, Elizabeth, but we have to we have to hit a break or Chris is going to beat me up with the Eagles. I thank you so, so much for the call. It's a pleasure speaking with you. Give us a call back anytime. Don't be a stranger. We'll be back in just a moment with more of your calls and the Reverend Barry Lynn, who has some thoughts on all of this. Misha Goss will be right back on progress. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. 
Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Hey everybody, it's Michael Steele, host of the Michael Steele Podcast. Each week, I discuss key political and cultural issues joined by America's leading activists, experts, and academics for conversations that transcend political boundaries. And that's the point. I want you to join me as we work through real solutions, have honest conversations, just keeping it real, and having a little fun on the side. So listen to the Michael Steele podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, or wherever you get your podcasts on. Because you know I love it when you do. Is this right? Is Pam Greer really coming back? Is Pam, Pam Greer is really going to be here next week. Uh, I interviewed Pam Greer once in Richmond, Virginia when she was doing a TV show. Oh, icon. I'm John Fugel saying this is Serious XM Progress. Welcome to it. Reverend Barry Lynn is an ordained minister in the United Church of Christ who served as the executive director for Americans United for the Separation of Church and State until his retirement a couple of years back. He's a longtime activist and civil liberties lawyer. You've seen him on everything from PBS NewsHour to the Today Show to Nightline, the 60 Minutes, even the O'Reilly Factor. And he's been published in the L.A. Times and Wall Street Journal and The Nation. Reverend Barry's memoir is finally out, and it's called Paid to Piss people off. Oh, Reverend. It comes in three volumes, Peace, Porn, and Prayer. And together, these books discuss how a few unexpected encounters with carnival sideshows or anarchists or attorney generals or right-wing pundits um, all changed his life. Reverend Barry Lynn, it's always a great pleasure to welcome you back to SiriusXM. Hello. It's wonderful to be back. Thank you very much. Happy uh, happy spring. Happy Pride, yep. Reverend. Happy Heterosexual hey, happy Fragility Pri- Month. Absolutely. It's it's so wonderful. It really um, is. It really no, it's terrific. I mean, as you mentioned to one of the callers, how would you how would anyone have expected back in 19 well, I I was there in the 50s, you were probably not, but to, to see these dramatic changes that have been going on in this country, that's the good news. The bad news is unfortunately we stand to lose some of these things if we overreact or if we ignore the courts. If we ignore the courts. Let's let's talk about it. I know that you had a you once had an experience with one of Ronald Reagan's campaign chiefs that actually relates to uh, the Supreme Court. Yeah, it does. Uh, Michelle Laxalt, who was Paul Laxalt's uh, daughter, he raised her. Um, she and I used to do a, a show, a radio show for the United Auto Workers Union. It was kind of a, a back and forth, although she was not nearly as conservative as as some of the other people I used to work with. And uh, she, she she comes in and says, uh, you know, my dad, Paul, would like to have you and Ollie North, because I also was doing a show on Fridays with Ollie North, over t- to for lunch. And I said, well, that'd be great. I'd love to come. And she said, and we also have Jerry Solomon, who had just left the Republican leadership. He'd been the head of the Rules Committee. I used to fight him all the time. <laughs> and so we we all get there. I'm a little late. 
North looks at me and says, uh, you know, Barry, you invite one liberal to lunch and he's late. And I said, listen, I look at you three people. If this had been a few years ago, my only question would have been, where are we going to war next? So so then Paul Axel starts talking about the mistake that Reagan made in his first term. He said, you know, we were not serious enough about changing the nature of the judiciary. We talked about it, but we didn't really do it. And that we're never going to make that mistake again. And not only did Reagan not make that mistake in his second term, but it also with Bush and, of course, certainly with Trump, they looked first and foremost at making changes in the judiciary. And of course, Trump puts three people on the uh, Supreme Court, uh, two of whom are you know, obviously now uh, ethically challenged, and one uh, who doesn't seem to be living on this planet, but right. living in some kind of uh, heaven of her own making. But when, when Laxalt said that to me, I looked at him and I said, yeah, yep, we'll see what happens. But of course, even Obama just didn't take as seriously as he could have the effort to change the court. And now when you look at some issues, somebody asked me the other day, if I, is there some issue I wouldn't work on? Because I've worked on all kinds of controversial issues. And I said, it's guns. Because he, there's nothing funny about guns, although your caller who mentioned the Wanda Sykes, uh, watch that. She has a, yeah. a good little story about guns. But, I know the bit. Um, it's... Um, but the problem is we have to expand the Supreme Court or we better be very, very careful about the lawsuits that we bring on the church-state front. Yeah, well, can I ask a question? I, yeah. I just, when you mentioned your conversation with Laxalt, in what sense did they feel Reagan didn't go far enough regarding the judiciary? They, I mean, they thought he that, tried to put uh, Robert Bork on like it was, it was no, he did, hardcore. But, yeah, he did, but he, he, and of course he failed on that one, and then he failed on the next guy who turned out to smoke pot with a student once. So Gin, Douglas Ginsburg, yes. Douglas Ginsburg, but I think it's a, um, I just think he saw so many openings that were left at the end of the first administration that he just mm. thought we could have filled more of those slots because things were not as obviously a problem at that point. And right. And Democrats have really had a lot of trouble trying to come up with reasons to take a chance and try to do things like expand the court. And we're not going to expand the court. And this is the thing about guns. If it is a violation of the Second Amendment for the state of New York to require that a person who wants a concealed carry permit to at least explain why she or he wants it, um, I get very little hope that any of these gun regulations that are being passed in various states when they get to the court will survive because we yeah. have five people who are obsessed with guns and who believe that, right. the, second, that the Second Amendment's the only thing, uh, the only means one thing and it means, you know. And they're sick, they're, they're all to the right of Scalia. On this, actually. No, they certainly are. And, um, you know, when, when I was doing radio for a year and a half or so with Pat Buchanan, he used to have a guy on from Con Gun Owners of America. Gun Owners of America thinks the National Rifle Association is soft on guns. And they believe <laughs> that if you can literally, no, I mean, I know it sounds ridiculous, but they believe that if you can use it a, 
a weapon on the battlefield, like a machine gun, maybe even a handheld nuclear weapon, which there are some, that private ownership should be permitted. Right. Now that's going a little far, but I do worry. I worry about the wrong cases being brought. I, I, I hate guns. I mean, I really hate guns. I, yeah. Years ago, I was on the board of something called the National Coalition to Ban Handguns. That's what I would like to do, ban them. And I yeah. would like, you know, we can start with machine guns again or AK-47s, but uh, ultimately, most people are still killed by handguns. In the church-state arena, they're desperately trying to get cases up to the Supreme Court about two of the things that I was most happy about when I ran the organization. One was creationism. They're trying, so far, AU and others have managed to stop them, but they desperately want a new creationism bill that, that can be challenged. And I do think that progressive legal groups really need to think hard about whether they want to take the risk of taking a case on creationism back up to the court. I mean, we had, there were two big cases from the state of Louisiana about That's right. creationism, alternatives to evolution, uh, both of which failed. But when you look at the makeup now, I'm really nervous about whether people like Sam Alito, uh, any of the any of the Trump appointees would not say, well, it's just another opinion. And if it's another I know, opinion, but this you makes should me have crazy, it. Reverend. Makes me crazy that that the media can't ask serious questions about this. I mean, in the 2004, <laughs> I believe, no, 2000, 2008 presidential primary season, I remember at one point uh, Anderson Cooper asked all the Republicans running, um, you know, if they <laughs> believed in creationism or not. I, I think go even deeper. Ask go, go. What is in the Book of Genesis? Do you do you believe? Exactly. That women have monthly menstruation and painful childbirth as punishment for what Eve did. Like, ask questions. Make them put their money where their mouth is. But I want to ask you something about about the Supreme Court. Because, you know, when FDR was president, there was a few Supreme Court justices who were trying to dismantle the New Deal. And he famously publicly threatened to pack the courts. And these judges backed down. And it helped save the New Deal. We don't ever have any way of knowing if FDR would have gone through with it. But he spoke softly and carried a big stick. He just gave the idea that he was crazy enough to try to do it. And this week, Donald Trump came out and said on Tuesday that if he's reelected, he will end birthright citizenship immediately if he enters the White House in 2025. On on day one of my new term in office, I will sign an executive order, make it clear to federal agents. Now, now Donald Trump can't do that. Uh, Executive order, it does not give you the power to undo the Constitution. Uh, Donald Trump is stupid. He might know that. He might not. I know that Stephen Miller put this in a speech for him to read. But at the end of the day, Trump's doing what FDR did. He's carrying a big stick. He's threatening. He's talking a good game to try to make people bow down. And it's bad policy. It's bad morality. It's it's not honesty, but it might be good politics. Uh, Do you want to see Joe Biden just start to be a bit more elaborate in the kind of threats he throws around? I think it is time to do that, but I I think the predicate to a lot of this is why do I get 10 or 15 emails every day from somebody who wants there to be a quicker prosecution of 
of Trump, why they complain about Georgia, they complain about the attorney general. I would like to see this guy hang out there as long as possible. And the Republicans, you know, know exactly what's going on. They see this huge number of people. And just earlier today, the Republican National Committee decides on rules for the that's first right. debate that's going to occur in August. And the rules are you have to have 1% of 1% uh, of the vote and you have to have I think 60,000 identifiable voters who have contributed to your campaign. Okay. They want to get rid of all these people because they That's don't right. want to, they do not want to see. They don't want to see Asa Hutchinson the, on no, stage and Chris Sununu. No, they they want it to be Donald, Donald Trump and Mike okay. Pence uh, or Donald Trump yeah. and Ron DeSantis and maybe Chris Christie. And that's going to be Maybe. Yeah. yeah. I think, uh, of course, the media loves uh, Chris Sununu. I mean, they really That's love right. him. They're, they they're really desperate do. to get him into this. And CNN has him on all the time. They tried with Asa Hutchinson, who's truly a, a bore, but he's also a right winger. People yeah. forget that anything that any time that somebody like Nikki Haley says something a little bad about Donald Trump, you look at her baggage. She's a terrible human being. She's not <laughs> going to be any different than Donald Trump. So right. I'm, I think that if we if those of us who are democrats and i i've literally i just become a democrat in the last five years i just i literally couldn't think of a republican to vote for anymore right. um you have to be able to make it clear that these people are not any different than donald trump and if you know what donald That's trump right. can do down ticket if you look at arizona and pennsylvania they're in play again in this election. Mm -hmm. What right. happened last time? Carrie Lake, she's obviously thinking about and probably will run for the Senate seat. And Kirsten Sinema, uh, the Democrat, nominally now she's an independent. She's not allowed to run as a Democrat in the That's primary right. because if she fails, then she can't run as an independent. And mm -hmm. of course, if you think that she doesn't just want to work for the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the country <laughs> or biggest hedge funds, um, she might want to run. And of course, Ruben Gallegos is a very good guy, very progressive guy, and he's going to walk away with any Democratic primary, but she's not, I don't think, is likely to be in it. So, Meanwhile, and then you, you know, Reverend Ron DeSantis was uh, campaigning yep. this week, and he yep. was in New Hampshire, and he yep. would not mention his six-week abortion ban he signed into law in florida um right. he talked about he talked about it in iowa but yeah. he had four different stops in new hampshire yesterday and in new hampshire they allow abortions up to 24 weeks that's uh, correct he didn't mention it once at nope. any of his four campaign stops and i think that's very telling as we enter into presidential election season and get out of debt ceiling season yeah, it is. and uh, But he will be forced to deal with it again in a very public way. I mean, he can he can hide, he can dodge, but he's going to the dodgeball is going to come and hit him in the butt sooner <laughs> rather than later. But um, the, the other thing that is driving me crazy, the censorship of books is going Tell on. Me. And there's a lot of people that believe in the Republican Party that the one thing you need to do is convince people that the what thing that's Fright, most frightening is that a drag queen might read a book to their kid in a library. And mm. if you look at censorship historically uh, and boycotts, they don't work very well unless somebody gets so scared. I was um, 
I mean, I fought both at the ACLU and at Americans United, a lot of censorship efforts. I remember the first time the Disney company had gay days at right. uh, back in the 80s. And they, there was a boycott. Everybody wanted to boycott all the religious groups in Florida. And then somebody noticed that uh, Walt Disney at about the same time had acquired ESPN. Okay. And, and when they thought... Uh, oh, wait a minute. We have to not watch sports. We thought this was just saying something about gay people. Uh, gay people, okay. Let's just don't mess with my sporting events. Uh. And the same kind of thing is happening to DeSantis. One of the things about DeSantis's whole campaign that I think is going to be the end of his campaign um, is what he's been doing with the Disney company. It's just, yeah. it's bad, it's economically stupid, it just doesn't make sense, and I think it doesn't make sense to most Floridians. If you wanna have a boycott and you want it to work, you better do the Birmingham bus boycott, where there's a very clear connection between the entity you're trying to boycott, the buses, and the conduct you're trying to stop, segregation on those buses, same with Cesar Chavez. Mm. You want to complain about grapes and certain lettuce products you have to connect the working conditions to the actual item being boycotted and that would be the produce that is being picked by people who are being mistreated but when you go beyond that i, I playboy magazine asked me to write a, an article back when i was at the aclu about the success of don wildman who ran the american family association he used to say he was the second most famous person to come out of Tupelo, Mississippi after Elvis. <laughs> and uh, and he had a, a great campaigns to boycott certain companies. And one company that he was focused on was a place called Days Inn, a chain of relatively yeah. low cost uh, motels around the country. He wanted to boycott it. He gave you a number to call. So I called the number after about two weeks and I got to whoever answered the nationwide reservation number right and i said hey how's this uh, boycott you getting in a lot of calls about this i'm writing an article and the guy said a lot of calls he said there was one guy who said we should stop renting x-rated movies because that's what Wildman was complaining about. And then he said, and then you called, and the third call we got on this subject was a guy who wanted to sell us a movie. <laughs> so, you know, it was like, uh, okay. He just wasn't successful. But when he went after convenience stores for selling right. even Penthouse Magazine, Playboy Magazine, he was often successful because hmm. the corporate people go, we don't need this. We don't sell enough magazines to make a difference. Right. So we're just going to give in. And that became Wildman's proof that he huh. was wildly successful at all of these campaigns. He wasn't. And the shocking thing about the censorship, there was a really important study done in the Washington Post recently about who is making challenges to books in public schools. Who oh, is yeah. doing it? And, you know, it turns out that 60% of all of the thousand or so, uh, cha a challenge doesn't mean it's taken away. It just means somebody says, yeah. oh, you should take it away. The people trying to remove. Uh, yeah, trying to remove it. 60% are all from serial 
what they call serial complainers, people who complain about more than 10 or more books. But that's who but that's who Ron DeSantis chose to empower with these laws. He did. Let any nut job ruin anything for anyone and it'll make us look tough. Reverend, we're out of time. (laughs) Um, What is the best way for our listeners to follow you and keep up with your work? I think the the best thing is to go to www.barrywlynn.com and then you can see all kinds of exciting things and you can purchase the book. Thank you so much, Barry. Little Thank Mermaid, you. as we go, see it or not. Did you like Little Mermaid live action? I loved it. I All loved right. It. We'll talk about Absolutely. it more when I get you back. We'll be right Hope back on progress. Don't go away. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. So I was not alive to hear all the rumors about how Martin Luther King was a communist, but I was able to be alive to hear how uh, Obamacare was death panels. Barack Obama was not born here. Donald Trump really won in 2020. Critical race theory teaches uh, kids who are white to hate themselves and people who care about trans children are groomers. You know, when we talk about the crazy bits of disinformation, the collective psychosis of our fellow Americans, you can see a real straight line in many cases from the QAnon beliefs to the book of Revelation, the the belief that the basement of a pizza parlor somewhere was like the hub of an international pedophilia ring that only a really good Christian on 4chan could destroy. It shows how many of us have been just groomed to believe in anything, no matter how absurd. We've been talking recently about how the flat earth movement keeps growing. And in many cases, it's there because it's a font for white supremacists. It's a great way to recruit people into your conspiracy theory. And the delusional thinking that has been driving Trumpism, it's nothing new. I mean, Donald Trump in many ways is just a brand new hood ornament on the car that crashes into the marketplace. People often sink into paranoid fantasies in order to justify their worldview. Donald Trump was just able to get elected doing it. And even though he's out of office, as many of us knew... His movement seems to only be metastasizing. So I'm so pleased to welcome back to the show one of our favorite authors, Jared Yates Sexton, who's written American Rule, The Man They Wanted Me to Be, The People Are Going to Rise Like the Waters Upon Your Shore. He's been published in the New York Times, The New Republic, Politico. But his book, The Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis, is such a powerful analysis about the right wing in this country everything we're going through and how the reactionaries and authoritarians and people hung up on manifest destiny mythology are a great risk to the world's safety right now. It's a pleasure to welcome back Jared Yates Sexton to Sirius XM. Thanks for having me. Always good to spend a Friday talking about the lighter topics. Well, this is but this is what I do to warm up. I mean, uh, obviously, everything that we talked about the last time you were on the show 
it's only even more acute in the national focus. And we're about to see Mike Pence begin his nomination. We're witnessing this ongoing movement of people claiming to be Christian using Christianity as an excuse to wage an all-out assault on the least of our people, the marginalized. Once again, we're in this madhouse where the truest atheists, the truest Christians can be the atheists, and the most godless heathens are, are the Christians. And in the book, you, you say, Jared, that American history is largely the story of paranoia. I didn't get to ask you about that last time, but what, what do you mean by that? Well, I mean, from the very beginning. Um, and, you know, uh, of course, this continent belonged to indigenous tribes that were eventually wiped out through genocidal warfare, uh, you know, being, being screwed over one way after another. But the colonists who came to this country came just absolutely carrying with them the paranoia of a war-torn, and by the way, religiously war-torn Europe. They Mm -hmm. came here ready to find Satan behind every tree. Also, the dirty business of white supremacy breeds paranoia. It breeds this fear that there's something out there that is eventually going to get you. And if you actually, uh, you know, we, we, we were told for a while that Donald Trump was some sort of an aberration, that everything was fine before him. But to literally go back through the history of the United States, it is built on a foundation of conspiracy theories. Whether it's the idea of indigenous people or uh, the British or slaves, you name it, that those people were going to come for us in the night with some sort of an awful plan together. Or even the idea going to the election of 1800 that Thomas Jefferson was an agent of the Illuminati. Like this thing is baked into the cake as far as it can possibly go. It is the heritage of the United States of America. But also the the penchant for perpetual victimhood. I mean, let's not forget, Jesus never played victim even on his last worst day. But the pilgrims were essentially kicked out of England for being dicks. But their whole narrative was, no, no, we're just coming here to practice our religion. You know, never mind the fact that we they were uncivil and that they were fundamentalist and they were so uptight they got kicked out of England. It was always about we are the perpetually victimized. Let us go forth and victimize the less fortunate and build a new world for ourselves. Yeah, and there's an incredible usefulness within Christianity, which has been completely bastardized from, you know, this original text that goes, you know, we we, we were talking about the teachings of Christ, right? The actual idea here is that, on one hand, it's a martyrdom. Everybody's coming out to get me. I am being absolutely targeted. But also, when given power, it's the idea that they are waging a spiritual war against evil, which means, John, and this is really useful if you want to use power, that you are always legitimized in however you use power. You can take away other people's rights. You don't have to worry about democracy. Whatever it is that suits your needs, because what are you doing? You are saying God is on your side and saying essentially that you have the power of God, which means that you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, to whomever you want. And cut to this week, where in a very mild form, uh, that means I can go into a Target store and vandalize private merchandise because they have a banner uh, with a rainbow flag on it. And that means I am being persecuted. And it goes into like this, this total Eminem victim bully mentality, Jared, where perpetually I get to be as mean as I want to anyone because someone was mean to me. Yeah, and you know, I was just talking about this on my podcast yesterday. The idea of what's happening with Target is actually using violence and intimidation to get your way. And you know, they want to talk about cancel culture. They want to talk about wokeness or whatever. What we're actually talking about is the marketplace. They don't have the numbers. 
they don't have, you know, the, the cultural influence that they want. That's and so right. as a result, they have to intimidate. They have to call in bomb threats. And what is actually happening here is something that has happened since the beginning of the merging of Christianity and power, which is this. If they don't have the votes, if they don't have power, the conspiracy theory is that everyone is out to get them, that they are going to be persecuted, and eventually it's going to lead to the apocalypse. It becomes a matter of self-defense in all ways. And as a result, again, you're legitimized to perform violence, you're legitimized to overturn elections, overthrow governments. It does not matter because you are within your rights because you technically are being quote-unquote persecuted. That's it. That And that makes everything okay. There's always a rationale. And, you know, which brings us to Jen. January 6th, because it's a complete link in the same chain. We're just beginning to talk about white supremacy on January 6th, but we really haven't begun to talk about how much apocalyptic Christianity was behind so much of the behaviors we saw that day. That's right. And one of the more dangerous things that's happened in all this, I want to make it very clear, Christianity, Christian nationalism, whatever it is we want to call it, QAnon, however, whatever direction we want to go on, it is an ideology, which means it is a story. It's not actually what these people believe. It's what they need to believe in order to do what they want to To do. justify their actions, yes. Exactly. So whatever story is necessary, you'll put over it. That's why all of these things are so contradictory. It does not matter what the story is as long as it goes ahead and makes the overthrow of a government, the murder of somebody, any type of action that a person wants, which is what you see on January 6th. It's whatever story worked for whoever was in the crowd that needed them to go into that building, which is That's it. the problem right now is it's being weaponized. And because it's being weaponized, these things are growing worse with every passing day. You know, and in the book, you, you talk about these modern day incendiary figures who are who are using the old fascism playbook, right? Convince the majority that a harmless, powerless minority in their midst poses an existential threat. So we've got to get them all scared of this minority and let them know that I am the only one who can protect you. Fascism 101, we've seen it done before. We can be as cruel as we want because they might groom our children somehow. And we have Trump and Alex Jones and Elon Musk. But it's interesting to me because you have a very personal connection with all of this. You and I both had profoundly uh, Christian upbringings, but in very different ways. You open the book with anecdotes about the powers that right-wing Christian paranoia had over your family. And it's what makes your book so remarkable because it is so incredibly political and historical while also being intensely personal at the same time. And I'm curious, how much did your childhood background inform and lead to the writer you are today and you wanting to take on these heavy topics in this book? All of it. I mean, uh, from the very beginning, one of the reasons why I was early on the train of telling people that Donald Trump was dangerous is because I saw the influence that he was having on my family, on my community. You know, I grew up in this uh, small town in Indiana, just absolutely surrounded by the early roots of Christian nationalism. You know, when, when I went to church on Sunday, it wasn't to go for a potluck and, you know, shake hands and give each other hugs. It was to talk about the New World Order, right? It right. was to talk about satanic conspiracies, about the dangers of people of color and gay people and how there were all of these machinations that were taking place in our culture. What I realized in 2016 and what I've documented over the past couple of years and why I keep writing these books and telling these warnings is because I saw this in its embryonic stage. I right. saw the power it had and also how it combined with things like uh, the deindustrialization, how, yep. you know, the neoliberal era brought all automation, of this into- outsourcing. Yep. 
And what did it do? Going back to what we said about stories, this is the story that is put on top of a larger economic, socioeconomic, political story. And the problem here is that that conspiracy, the, all these conspiracy theories we're talking about, it tells people something. It says you either need to be proactive and hurt these people and get rid of democracy, or they're going to show up at your house in the middle of the night, they're going to take your guns, they're going to throw you and your kids in satanic concentration camps. And eventually, if you believe that story, John, you have to protect your family. That's you it. have to act. And that is very, very useful for these right-wing authoritarians that we're talking about. And that's the essence of fundamentalism, whether it's overseas, whether it's Muslims, whether it's Christians, whether it's any religion. It's always the same playbook. You have to say, well, the, if you're, you know, I'm extreme conservative religion. I will always say that fundamentalist Christians have more in common with fundamentalist Muslims than they do with moderate or liberal Christians. And the mentality is, I speak for the one true God. I am on the side of God. Don't tell me my grandmother raised me to believe this. And if you oppose me, then you must be opposing God, which means you must represent Satan. So logically, I'm not allowed to sit down with Satan and negotiate school curriculum or what marriage is or what gender is. And it seems like it keeps coming down to these, this, this brainwashing belief that all cruelty is okay because I and only I represent the one true God who apparently is too powerless to help himself. And I want to make very clear, that's one side of the equation. Please. The people that we're talking about, the people who fall under the sway of these conspiracy theories, absolutely believe that, which is why they're willing to overthrow their government. They're willing to kill their fellow citizens in the street, which we're now seeing that really come out to play. But also, this is incredibly useful for wealthy and powerful people. Like exactly. you just brought up, let's let's take critical race theory, let's take the gender debate, any of these things, those are being used in order to take over not just the local and regional politics, but also national politics. It's That's being correct. used to go ahead and privatize public education. So these people don't believe this. They don't think that there are puppet masters behind the scenes. They don't believe in satanic cabals. But I'll tell you what, their institutes, their think tanks, they understand that this is incredibly useful yes. for getting rid of democratic representative government and also making themselves more profitable and making themselves more powerful, That's it. That's which is why this keeps happening and why it's getting worse now. That's why a millionaire at birth like bin Laden could easily get poor true believers to go and fight his battles and die for him. It's the same old racket. I, I do want to ask you, though, about the, the difference, if there is one between what we're now calling Christian nationalism and white identity politics. You know, the same people who say they don't want to talk about identity politics are generally the ones pushing this white identity political scheme on our country. Is there a difference or are they two sides of the same coin? Basically, it's a candy shell on top of everything else. It's the exact same thing. Like if you actually boil down, um, you know, uh, neo-Nazism or neo-fascism within the United States of America, separatism, any of those things, they still have the basis of Christian religion. You know, this right. is one of the constants. Again, it's an ideology on top of everything else. Christian nationalism takes it one step removed. 
it's still white identity politics, but it gives it the sheen of, no, I'm doing this for my religion. It just yes. so happens that we're all white. It also just happens that all of our enemies are people of color and the people that people of color vote for or immigrants. And so what it does is it gives one sort of one step away from being able to say, I'm a white nationalist, I'm a white supremacist. But what is actually happening is it is it's two sides of the exact same coin. Yeah. Definitely. You know, I, I am curious, though, because you've said in the past that Donald Trump was someone who could take take this and take all of this uh, rancor and uncertainty and this fake populism. And I, I read somewhere you said he could turn it into a consumer identity. You know, he gave people products they could wear as identities. We can call it grievance politics. He's, he's still doing it now, saying, I am your retribution, the millionaire at birth with a gold toilet, saying he's here to help stick it to the man. You know, it, it does seem like there's beginning to be a, a, a hint of actual accountability. You had a terrific piece in the Globe and Mail a couple of months ago saying Trump's indictment shows there can be consequences even for America's most privileged. Are you feeling at all hopeful that that may have begun as a process? I am cautiously optimistic. I, I, I see a lot of trends that are taking place in this country right now and around the world. A lot of people who are coming together and bonding together and pushing back against power. I think it's incredible that people who have no training or education in organizing are defeating some of the strongest and most profitable corporations that have ever existed. I'm so excited about that. I will go ahead and say, not to throw water on the parade, when it comes to powerful white men, particularly rich, powerful white men, I usually hold my breath and wait for the consequences to come down. Yeah. Donald Trump is still a dangerous person. And by the way, like I have to tell you, MAGA, Trumpism, all of that, it is, there is an attempt to go ahead and transfer it from underneath his watch over to somebody else or within something that is more operable. Donald Trump could go away and this problem would still be there. I always say exactly. he is a symptom and not the disease. Exactly. He's a hood ornament. I am cautiously optimistic about things, but it's going to get very gnarly before it gets better. But you're right. I mean, this is a continuation of the Gingrich movement, is it not? I mean, th th this is a continuation in the way of the Dan Quayle movement. This is the anti-intellectual corporatism, et cetera, et cetera. But you've pointed out many times that Trump is different because Trump's not really a fascist. He doesn't actually have an ideology. He doesn't actually believe anything he says. Does that make him more dangerous or easier to beat? You know what's weird? I was doing some research the other day on right-wing authoritarian thinking for a project that I'm working on. And this was written, I believe, in 1989. And it, it said something along the lines of, God help us if there is ever a disgenuine huckster who is willing to tell them what they want to hear and is also paranoid and narcissistic. And it yeah. made my skin crawl because he was the perfect person to go ahead and break the norms that other politicians would have been too afraid to do. They still believe that the guardrails were there. What he did was essentially a bull in a china shop. I believe he is instinctually a fascist, but if you right. made him explain to you what fascism was, he would have no idea. And that's Correct. what makes this really dangerous is that the narcissism, the self-pitying, the self-dealing, all of that makes him incredibly dangerous as a change agent. And what he has done is he, has made, he is an accelerant of a problem. And by the way, we always forget now, the election of 2000 was stolen literally right. stolen before the war on terror went out and killed nearly a million people reportedly and and took place in god knows how many countries 
We have such a narrow remembrance in this country of how these things come to pass. The problem is that Trump accelerated things at a moment where an accelerant just made things that much exponentially worse. But the danger is still there, whether he goes away, goes to prison or otherwise. Let me ask about one more tenet of uh, of this kind of fundamentalist Christianity we're facing off against, and that is the, the apocalyptic imagery we keep getting. You talk about Charlemagne ordering to behead to 4,000 Saxons because they wouldn't convert to Christianity. How Woodrow Wilson was having the uh, protocols of the elders of Zion lying around and the anti-Semitism was used to say, oh, the Jews are coming to destroy Christianity. Henry Ford, same thing. I mean, there's a definite line between all of this and, you know, the pizza parlor that's the pedophilia ring in there. How much do we need to bring into consideration the notion that a lot of these people really do take the book of Revelation as literal fact. They they don't take love your enemy as literal fact. They take the talking snake and the end of the world in Revelation as literal fact. I mean, we know that drives a lot of evangelical support for Israel. They don't actually like Jews. They need God to destroy Israel because of their Bible fan fiction. How much do we need to take into consideration that like some of our charming jihadist friends, these are apocalyptic religious nutjobs who aren't afraid of death? I'll tell you, the damnedest thing back in 2016 was when I watched the media and pundits and journalists have no idea how religion functioned in certain quarters of this country. They had no idea how my family went to church or what they talked about or what they believed or the fact that I was raised believing that I was going to be a soldier in an apocalyptic battle, a spiritual warfare that would end with the, you know, the return of Jesus Christ and, and Armageddon. Yep. The whole point of this is to understand we have a lot of crises that are coming to a head right now. We have a global order which is starting to disintegrate. We have a new Cold War. We have climate change, which, by the way, is a very real apocalypse that That's people right. are not going to be able to deny for much longer. Those apocalyptic ideas have prepared people for the violence and anti-democratic actions necessary to forward fascism, not just in the United States, but around the world. They are very serious about it. They believe in it. And what's more, for a population that is kind of lost and devoid of meaning, it gives them meaning. There is a reason why they're into this. It makes them feel like they are special and chosen and they have a role to play. And they have a place to belong and a sense of purpose that many of them lacked before. Right. Absolutely agree. Jared, we have to get you on this show much more often. He's like, I talk about this all day. But, but before I do let you go, I mean, what's giving you hope right now? Because as I look at, at the authoritarians around the world, I, I do see all these little signs and some big signs of people who are pushing back. I mean, Brazil got rid of Bolsonaro. The American midterms turned out much better than we thought. And a lot of the biggest, craziest, most racist election deniers are, are gone. Even seeing how how grassroots union protests for Starbucks. I mean, we're seeing this happen in all different levels. And, and you know, again, Ukraine, they're doing great. They're They're holding Russia back. What is giving you hope and what should we lean into as models for how to move forward fighting these forces? This is going to sound a little backwards, but one of the things that I really uh, appreciate right now is a lack of faith in institutions and leaders because they, they, they deserve it. They absolutely deserve it. People are waking up and realizing that small D democracy is about more than showing up at the polls every two or four years. That's People right. are starting to organize. They're they're forming groups. And what what's more, this this crisis of meaning, the fact that we're all looking up and we're saying, what are we doing this for? Money? It's empty. It's hollow. And people are starting to look around and ask, what can I do that means something? How do I form better relationships? How do I make the world better? And they're pushing back against this stuff, despite the fact that there are entire markets built around forgetting this. 
whether That's it's right. streaming, entertainment. I love that CNN is starting to struggle because they decided maybe people want to go back to sleep. Maybe they don't exactly. want to look at this stuff. So we're starting to see signs that people are rejecting what we would call normality. They're starting to say something has to be better and we have to reject this oppression and this fascism, which gives me an incredible amount of hope. Jared Yates Sexton is the author of The Essential of the Midnight Kingdom, A History of Power, Paranoia, and the Coming Crisis, a book that is, in my opinion, uh, as exciting and gripping as it is horrifying. Uh, Jared, what is the best way for our listeners to keep up with you and follow your work? Man, I wish I could say Twitter. I'm at JY Sexton there, but you can find me over at Substack, Dispatches from a Collapsing State, and I host the Muckrake Podcast. Listen, I'd love to get you back really soon and go even deeper on this. As the presidential uh, field takes shape for the Republican Party, it's going to be really interesting seeing how these very different, very unchristian Christian movements come together. And I would love to have your expertise back on our show. Anytime, bud. Always a pleasure. Love the book. Thank you so much, Jared. We have to take a quick break. We will be right back with your calls. This is SiriusXM Progress. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. I'm John saying This is Sirius XM Progress. We are at 866-997-4748. 866-997-GRIT. Let's go to the phone. Some of y'all have been waiting for a long time to get on the air. Kelly in Montana, thanks so much for waiting. You're on Sirius XM. Good evening, Mr. Fugelsang. Hello. I'm so happy to speak with you because you helped me keep my sanity. Oh, As a hard. gay atheist, 32 years I called in once before, but I live in Montana now, and uh, there's a lot of hypocritical Christians, and the last segment was so interesting to me, so thank you. No, thank Jared Yates Sexton. He's a great writer. And, you know, I grew up in a nice version of all that, a liberal Christian ex-clergy parents version. He grew up right in the heart of the fundamentalism, and he's turned it into a, a great career in journalism. His book is terrific. I, I, I totally understand that. Um, as a gay man, I have to admit that what I now know is white Republican Jesus was yep. my first heartthrob. <laughs> I, I and I, I hate to be the one to tell you, but white Republican Jesus doesn't exist, not even in the Bible. Uh, oh, oh no, I've I've learned that over the years. Yeah. <laughs> yes, white Repu- I've always thought maybe the worst thing that ever happened to this country was when they made Jesus white and all those Bibles in the 1800s. It just it just destroyed people for a long time. Hey, I'm curious. What, what's what's more challenging in Montana, being gay or being atheist? Oh, geez, I hadn't really thought about which would be which. What I can tell you 
is that I've had to limit some friendships yeah. with what I consider hypocritical Christians. I In my life, if I catch myself being a hypocrite, I chastise myself mentally. That's but yeah. I get it. Up here, you know, there, there's so much misinterpretation of Jesus. They're following the, like I said, white Republican Jesus. Yes, I think you and, nailed it. And that's that, exactly right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, some of the best Christians I know are atheists. There's no there, there there's no way you can follow the Republican Party and follow what this guy, Jesus, the character in the book, whether he's real or not, what he teaches is the opposite of what the Republican Party fights for from 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 welcome the stranger to take care of the poor, to pay your damn taxes, to stop executing people, to be kind to those in prison. The GOP is opposed to all of it. You are a better Christian than most of those folks, and you're a damn atheist. So take that. Yeah, well, thank you. Well, I have to tell you, I did end uh, not end, but put on the back burner a friendship yeah. uh, of a, a guy that I graduated high school with. He's Seventh-day Adventist. And oh, I was talking yeah. to him about you, oh, and yeah. his comment was, well, he's not a real Christian. Of course. And I brought up your background to your parents and all that, and he, and he just totally disregarded it. That's okay. I think people who call themselves Christians and walk around pridefully saying they're going to heaven because they accepted Jesus and I'm saved and you're not, blah, 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 but they don't actually follow what the character of Jesus in the book tells them and they vote against it. I don't think they're real Christians. I think they're, uh, they're usually Paulists. They really follow mm -hmm. St. Paul, the conservative guy, or or they're just their religion is uh, pretending they're better than other people or their religion is um, criminalizing abortion. But I don't see a lot of it. And well, that's why I see, welcome them to the call. I have them on the show. I will debate any of these people. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to talk over you. And no, that's no. where it gets into virtue signaling. It's, exactly. You know, they, the right accuses the left of it, but it kind of originates, you know, so. Yeah. Well, then Jesus anyway, warns us about I, it in Matthew 6, 5, Matthew 6, 5. Everyone should read it. That's where Jesus warns you not to trust those people who are praying really loud in public on the street because they just want to be seen. You know all about those is, people, Kelly. And Jesus warned us about it. It is so amazing you said that because there's a family on our, the main street of my small town. Mm -hmm. And yearly they have a prayer service on their uh, lawn. And... Because it's a small town, I don't want to go across the street with a sign that says Matthew six five. Um, but just, it, just say it out loud when you walk by. I do say it out loud to the kids so they hear Matthew six five and they'll look it up when they go home. It's a good verse to remember. I got to run, but I thank good. you so much for your kind words, Kelly. And, and call more often. It's great to hear from you. Eight six six nine nine seven forty seven forty eight. Just we have thousands of people on hold, and I want to get to everyone tonight. Marsha in San Diego, welcome. <laughs> Hi, John. Um, Hi. Thank you so much for taking the call. So I was thank listening you. to the um, interview that you had with Jared um, Sexton, and mm -hmm. um, and he mentioned about privatization of education. Yeah. And I I am sort of a student of the GATS Treaty. I, I don't understand it entirely, but um, it was something that Clinton signed into law. He signed onto the treaty with the WTO. And mm -hmm. um, what it says is that, that the goal is to privatize education, the post office, and the medical industry. Yeah, and and that's what I'm seeing happening. 
That's what they're trying. I mean, they'll never stop trying it. They'll never stop trying to get rid of public school and make every child go to a private religious school where they can be told evolution's a myth. They'll never stop. Right. So, so Bush prepared this, but Clinton signed on to it. So yeah. it, it's not just the Republicans. It's also the corporate Democrats, I'm afraid. That's right. Yeah, well, and listen, I'm not against charter schools per se. You want to show me what your charter school does and that it's it's helping kids climb out of poverty? Then great. I'm not against it in theory. I, I just, whenever I hear school choice, I always know someone's selling me a bill of goods. Because my, my answer is, my answer is, these are all the big patriots. I'm like, hey, doesn't America deserve to have the best public schools in the world? A- ask, ask some of these charter school guys this sometime. Doesn't, doesn't America deserve the best public school system? Appeal to their patriotism and watch how mad they get when you do that. Yeah, that, well, I, don't they get um, public funds, though, for the charter schools? Or is some it of all them do. Private? Some of them do. Of yeah. course. Yeah. 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 It's a good racket. <sighs> Marcia, thank you so much. <laughs> well, it is. But again, you know what? It's just I'm in. Listen, if if my problem with all the privatization is that the poor kids always fall through the cracks. Show me your plan to have voucher systems where poor kids don't wind up screwed. And I'll listen. But I have never heard one. And this has been going on for decades. Thank you so much for calling. It's great to hear from you. Let me go to our friend Pitt Doc calling us from Pennsylvania. Doctor, how are you? Hey, John. Just want to ask you a question. Do you remember about three or four years ago? when it took Trump about two minutes to walk down a ramp that, that normally would take about 10 seconds to walk down. Yes. And, and do you remember do you remember how all the networks the next day had that as their lead story and made it a second and third day story when Trump didn't do that? No, I really don't. I remember some liberals talked about it, but not the networks in general. I don't either. And the liberals <laughs> laughed at it. Fine. But the thing yeah. is, is that you know, the, the number one, the secondary opponent for for Biden coming in next year is going to be the media. Because they're oh, going to have every little thing he might have. Then this media misses their Trump-sized ratings. They really do. Right. Uh, one, one more thing. Uh, I hate to step on Mitch's toes, but I, I was Step on his I, toes. I, I was working last night, and I, could, I couldn't listen too much. And I w- couldn't listen earlier because I was with the patient. But uh, you should note that Cynthia Weil died either yesterday or today. She did and die, and I, go ahead. I was just wondering if you could play some of her music, because I swear to God, to go from on Broadway to we got to get out of this place, that's a stretch. Well, I, I think I think Barry Mann really wrote we got to get out of this place more than, than Cynthia Wilde did, but okay. um, she was a guest on this show, and she's one of the greatest songwriters of, uh, post, uh, of the second half of the 20th century. I mean, she's someone who met Barry Mann at the Brill Building when they were supposed to sort of be like competing with Carole King and Jerry Goffey, but instead the two couples wound up becoming really good friends. Cynthia Wilde is someone who should be very famous because all of her songs are with, with Barry Mann. And they did the show together. It was amazing having them both. They wrote, You've Lost That Love and Feeling. They wrote, On Broadway, Walking in the Rain, uh, Here You Come Again. They wrote, Make Your Own Kind of Music, which is maybe my favorite. We Gotta Get Out of This Place. Um, so many songs for so, for the monkeys and the animals and so many different Phil Spector artists. And, and you know, uh, and she had hits into the 80s as well for Peebo Bryson and um, all kinds of songs. Right. And honestly, it was really an honor having her on the show. They were characters in the musical on Broadway about Carole King called Beautiful. And so they came on the show to talk about it. And it was just amazing because they stayed in love, too. They they stayed in love for decades and grew old together, and they just kept on writing songs. Yeah. Okay, John, take it easy. 
Well, there you go. They're me geeking out. Uh, by the way, she they also wrote uh, James Ingram's Just Once, which was on the radio all the time in the 80s. Somewhere out there from the American Tale Disney movie, they wrote that one. Uh, that Hanson song, I Will Come to You, Here You Come Again, by Dolly Parton's version. Like, huge. God bless Cynthia Weil. And God bless you, Pit Doc. 866-997-4748 is our number right here at the Love Fest. Uh, let me go to Mike in Michigan. Hello, Mike. Thank you. Hey, uh, uh, am I talking to the big kahuna? The big? No, that's Thea. But uh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the little helper. What can I do for you? No, I just uh, your, your name. I heard this German guy said the translation was, what, big unit? <laughs> no, no, that is not the name. No, the, Nathan Lane once said that my name was German for large apparatus. And I always wanted to put that on a flyer, but his publicist wouldn't let me. Uh, no, oh, hey, in, in reality, my name means birdsong in, in the Danish language. Oh, okay. well, I just want to thank you for getting me through the uh, the pandemic. I mean, uh, your show got me through, and I, I just want to oh, thank, thank you. Thank you. Uh, well, thank you. This, this show got me through it. And when the pandemic happened, we wound up doing so much pop culture on this show because uh, it was so scary. It was amazing. We just made it. What's your favorite 90s action film? And people would call up every night. And uh, I think we might do some more of that for the summer. Let's let's the politics is always there. It's always horrible. We should talk about more silly stuff, too. Did you hear about this uh, bill that uh, Adam? Well, not the bill, I guess, Adam Schiff and uh, one of the great uh, orators adam schiff great yes. man mm-hmm. and uh you know he's urging uh biden to transfer frozen uh, russian assets to support ukraine i think that's a great idea wow. i think it's a great idea too i think it's a great and, idea uh, yeah but uh, thanks for your show and uh god bless you god. thank you god. thanks for your low standards and entertainment mike really a pleasure have a great <laughs> evening we gotta go. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Thea. I'm John Fugel saying keep it tuned to Sirius XM Progress. Peace.